there. So there are. Okay, I said there first, and then decided you're off the hook. I man. got caught up. You're I don't care. I, I'm not gonna. I don't say, care. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna say I didn't notice. You made a face. <laughs> We're on Zoom. <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> but you're officially off the hook. You. You. Anyway, <laughs> there are there are two things. I. You and I are Marvel people. Yeah. I think that's safe to say compared to DC. Well, of course. Yeah. There are two things that I feel DC does better than Marvel Mm -hmm. that I've seen from my limited exposure to DC, which is usually movies and TV shows. Right. They do different words. Or like phrases better than we than Marvel does, we do, than Marvel does in the sense of like for Marvel, the galactic characters say flark instead of fuck or oh, sure. dast instead of damn. Like it's so it's a one-to-one replacement. Yeah. Or if you're from 2099, you say shock, like what the shock instead of what the hell. Yeah. If you're from cables reality, you say oath. Yeah, <laughs> to to push up to push up my glasses. Cable's reality is six on six, so you should <laughs> whatever. It's just it's like one of my favorite little tidbits about Cable that, that I he remember. actually is from six one six. Yeah, that he was born six one six, like in in canon time. Anyway, DC when you when they bring in characters from the future like this kid impulse yeah. he's like kid flash they have their own like sayings in the future as opposed mm. to like a one to one word replacement yeah they say they say crashing the mode which is like <laughs> you're like crushing my style or crushing the vibe or something okay. i don't fully understand but they say crashing the mode and it's like a thing that's like slang in the future ter- time that does not have a one to one replacement in mar in in current time. Okay, and I appreciate that. Okay, like I like that different cultures or different timelines or different futures have developed <laughs> like their own sayings and not just like well instead of shit say poo. <laughs> as Edmund's poo is cold. Like right. that kind of stuff. I, anyway, small little thing that I appreciate. The other right. thing that I like that DC does is the introduction of the idea that each Earth has their own numbering system from their perspective of yeah. the alternate Earths. Yeah. There's like in Marvel there's just one universal numbering system that apparently every reality subscribes to. One. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone refers to 616 as 616, as their right. 616. Even from the 1610 Ultimate Universe perspective, or even from Earth-65, uh, Ghost Spider, Spider-Gwen's perspective, sure. like, they all have the same numbering system. They and that, do it, yeah. And, like, it's not... It's not that it bothers me. It's more just like a small fact that you're like, huh. (laughs) (laughs) 
or like in Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness, the alternate universe, the main alternate universe that Doctor Strange goes to, they deemed our, uh, the MCU as Earth 616, and they refer to themselves as Earth 838. Yeah. Which seems weird mm-hmm. to me. I feel like every Earth should be Earth 1 from their own perspective. <laughs> sure. And that's what that's what DC does. Yeah. Everyone from their own Earth is Earth 1. And then you have these conversations between alternate reality characters of like, oh, yeah, uh, your Earth is Earth 6 to us. He's like, oh, interesting. Your Earth is Earth 13 to us. And, and it's just like mm-hmm. that makes more sense to me. Sure. Than this universal multiversal (laughs) numbering system. I think there are different ways in which both could make sense. Mm. If from your Earth, you are observing lots of different realities, you just start naming them. That's how the relativistic numbering system makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if once you, if there was one numbering system, right, that like, whoever started visiting new realities first started cataloging them. And then as other, like an intergalactic community as, you know, different realities sort of join a larger network of realities that have already formed of inner like dimensional community, then it makes sense for them all to have to buy into a, a shared a universal standard. Yeah. Multiversal standard. Multiversal yeah. standard. Yeah. I can be yeah. I can I can see it. I can see it. There there's definitely an argument for it. I, I will not refute that. It would just be that like what would that was how do you get an entire universe stack to agree, like, imagine, can you imagine like the Council of Reeds or the Council of Dooms or the Council of Red all agreeing? <laughs> like, okay, I'll be Earth 63. It's fine. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how they would do their, you know, yeah. their numbering system, but. But at the same, like, it's such a non issue. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not worth, it's not even worth the six minutes we've spent on it right now, but. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's it's just those like handful of things that is the quote unquote problem with us as like our earth writing a story, a universe, a multiverse in a medium of comics. Cause like the other thing that like I think about and it's not, it's just one of those things where like you're having a smooth read and then there's like a little bump is sure. when it different star systems and aliens have the same measures of measurements of time. Right. Yeah. But like, I shouldn't expect all of the writers in Marvel to go out and be like, okay, the Shi'ar uses these, well, <laughs> these units and, again, it, and it translates to this much time on earth. And it's just, it's not, that's ridiculous. Again, I think that this is, you know, for, for an intergalactic empire, like the Shi'ar, I think it makes absolute perfect sense for them to have a, a standard unit of time that isn't based on any, you know, particular, right. But you they know, always like the, say, yeah, it's like the metric and, system. 
right? Yeah, yeah. Like we we all have based this on something else rather than our, you know, the the length of the orbit um, or rotation of our local planet or our king's foot. Like these things become arbitrary as soon as you're dealing with larger populations and larger scales and you have to adapt. And if you're part of an intergalactic <laughs> community with other, you know, it makes sense to standardize. You have to do, you have to trade, you have to blah, 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 blah. I agree. It would be, however, hilarious to have to, <laughs> if, if like the Cree were like, no, nah, we don't use the metric system. We got our own thing. <laughs> Right? <laughs> and just absolutely bother the hell out of everybody else. Like, oh, God, now I have to remember what, like, you know, it, Supremors, how, how many, like, right? kilometers how long is, is in a Supremor? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> right? And, like, but, like, I feel like, realistically, if it were the world outside of our window, whatever, that is what would happen. Right. <laughs> like, you, the Shi'ar, the Kree, the Scroll, the Clintar, like so many different races probably have different units of measurement. <laughs> Again, I would say most would probably align like like the metric system, most would probably align to the same. And there would be some belligerent empire yeah. out there of, you know, nativist, anti-intellectual um prideful bastards trying to think who the americans are the intergalactic that's why i went with cree honestly <laughs> yeah but <laughs> so to that point i don't think yeah. earth measurement time measurement is gonna win <laughs> no no absolutely not but again it's from it's Stories being told from the writer's perspective, and the writers only know the Earth perspective. So, like, right, okay. and they're <laughs> yeah, and and it it gets a little like awkward when it's like, meet me in you know where uh, you know over at the fault in you know right. two hundred galactic time units. And, yeah, and so that that is something they sometimes do, and, is and galactic then the readers like. Second. Like I don't, we don't know know how long this means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel. I want to say. So I've heard there have been a couple of times where I've read like Galactic Standard X. Yeah, and I think one time, and this this is the exact sort of thing that I should be remembering because that's what stands out to to me in my mind all the time. I think one time, a translation was given for a Galactic Standard second. And an Earth second. Can I can I get my no prize here? Absolutely. Whatever technology is enabling trans, uh, translations <laughs> from language to language also manages uh, unit conversions. Yeah, the the universal translators and everybody. Is, so, like, not only is it doing unit conversions, it's also doing the multiplication division for you. Yes, exactly. All right, all right. You know. I'm fine with that. Yeah. It do, it does. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's in that same realm of like, everyone has an earpiece, no matter exactly. where they came from in the story. <laughs> exactly. It's just there. At least if you have mutants or guardians, they have tel- telepaths. Right. So you know, you're going to be linked. <laughs> yeah. 
And then fucking poor, you know, Emma Frost or Jean Grey is like, fuck, how many <laughs> how many hours is a galactic standard unit? Beast, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Anyway, that's random stuff that crosses my mind whenever I read comics. Yeah. So almost every day. I think about these things. And it sounds exhausting. <laughs> telling me. And maybe you or Nips or any of our uh, listeners will think about this too. Excellent. So what are we doing here? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Glad you asked. This is a podcast called Hype is My Superpower. I'm Steve Storman with my best buddy, Will Freeland. And Hi. we talk about comic books, things that we're hyped on, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Will, what, what, what did you read this week? I am terrible at reading and remembering messages. So I had a very light week. <laughs> To the point yeah. where <laughs> I have a group reading, yes, X Men ninety two House of ninety two, yeah, which is a side book of if X Men ninety two did House of House of X, which is kind of cool. Yeah, X Men ninety two being basically uh, basically the TV show. Yeah, the the nineties animated series. Yeah, and then I read the first volume of Jason Aaron's Punisher, and. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> oh usually usually i've said that it takes until i get to volume two to figure out what's going on right i guess for the story beats it'll probably be story volume two however however my comma. theory behind oh, no jason comma. aaron's approach just going raw dogging no punctuation uh-huh <laughs> yep <laughs> Jason Aaron's approach to his characters and why yeah. he should be on solo titles and not team titles right. is mad prevalent just from the first issue Okay, and okay. I am so ready for this sick okay awesome <laughs> it is the only way I mean Jason Aaron is the only one I think that could write a story where Punisher is like a leader of the hand yeah. And make it make sense. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah. So I am so stoked to go over that. But those nice. are my only two books for this week. Cool. I read House of 92 with you. I also read three other books and a special. I read X-Men Hellfire Club, which I, I think I said on our last recording that it was by Chris Claremont. It's not. It's Ben Robb, but kind of like the the deep history of the Shaw family going back to colonial times in America. Oh. A Spider-Man and Marrow special, which was actually, I'm, I'm going to be curious to get your take on this because it was published in 2001. So after most of the stuff that I'm reading, kind of out of order in my packs. And mm. that would have been around the time you started reading Spider-Man. That might have been around the time that Straczynski was already on yeah, the Yeah, Straczynski hopped on in... 2001, late 2000, around there. Okay. Well, 
I, I have some questions to ask you about the Spider-Man status quo then. What the hell is going on here? Okay. I've got the end of Christopher Priest's run on Deadpool. And then I have <laughs> Mutant X. Uh, seven issues in an annual of Mutant X. Fun. Yeah. Some of it was. House of 92 <laughs> was fun. We should probably do that last though, yeah? Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to hop into Punisher. So <laughs> let me start. By asking, what do you know about Punisher before he puts the skull on? Besides the grunting, you know, Marines, Special Forces, family, dead. It's about it. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I'm not convinced that there's much lore established, like, pre his family being killed outside of... He was yeah. in this Yung Kong War. It used to be Vietnam War, but yeah. time. So Jason Aaron was like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the current story. And then throughout these six issues, we get peppered in flashbacks mm-hmm. of how Frank Castle kind of got started yeah. all the way back to when he was 10 years old. Oh. So... Okay. Oh my gosh, it's so it's so tough because my usual approach to these books is like going over the story beats, but like there's I'm gonna try not to do that because okay, there's like concepts at at war here, okay, with Punisher, and it's so interesting to me. So as we learned in I think it was the end of of Devil's Reign. We saw that Frank Castle is working with the hand. Right. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. (laughs) So this kind of hops in. It starts with a quick flashback, a la Batman, of uh, Frank's perspective of when he and his family got gunned down in the park. Frank Man begins. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it goes into this uh, drug deal, or not drug deal, this weapons deal that is going down somewhere in Greece. And these guys wearing like Roman helmets. Okay. In, they're in suit and tie and then okay. a Roman helmet. Sure. They're the ones doing the deal. Weird. Okay. Right. And they are, every, they keep on talking about like, this is for, you know, this is bless the war is their thing. They have these new weapons. They're 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 okay. I'm just gonna tell you the names of some of these weapons. Okay. So some of the stuff they're they're doing are five thousand rounds of rounds of adamantium tipped bullets. Oh, that's a lot. Twenty cases of assault scatter guns with a pin particle shot. <laughs> oh no. You know. Three crates of unstable molecule bunker buster ordnance. Okay. Which that shouldn't be a thing because Reed Richards has a very tight. Yeah. He has a lot of security around his unstable molecules, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> 18 cases of Shi'ar sniper rifles. Okay. 14 graviton, graviton bazookas. <laughs> okay. So they just get more ridiculous from here. Yeah. Yeah. Warhead of Watum. <laughs> Sure. (laughs) And 30 cases of banner cannons. (laughs) I don't even know 
what that means. Right? Hence why this the next speech bubble is banner cannons. <laughs> it's a new one. Okay. Fresh from the R&D department. Gamma-powered minigun. Like if the Hulk was a machine gun. I mean, he's already a spaceship, so why the fuck not? Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so they're doing deals with Hydra cells, this anti-Wakandan warlord in East Africa, with hate monger in Minnesota. Okay. They're all doing this for His Holiness the General. And they're, instead of Hail Hydra, they say, bless the war. Okay. And lights go out, Punisher shows up, takes them out, blah, blah, blah. blah, blah and blah. then at the end of that skirmish, Punisher is surrounded by his hand ninja. And he's like, take them all yeah. out. So find out Punisher's been going around with the hand taking out all of these cells. So every single customer that <laughs> uh, the general has been selling to has sure. been taken out. Sure. So now he wants to know, he's trying to find out who the general is. If you ask me, uh-huh. it's kind of on the nose. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> They're selling war war level weapons. Yeah. They're wearing <laughs> Roman helmets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. But that reveal literally isn't until issue three. So. <laughs> but regardless, so he's doing that. And we've and in the first issue we get so we see Frank working with the hand, and then when he gets back, he we find out that other hand members have been going around collecting the bad people that Frank used to go and kill. Okay, convicted uh, rapists that got Scott or uh, non-convicted rapists yeah. that got out free. Yeah. you know, gun runners, drug peddlers, a room full of them tied up and Frank goes to each one, a hand person says what their crimes are. He kills them. Sure. They just goes down the line. Sure. And you're like, okay, so he's got the hand doing punisher stuff. Yeah. 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 And so he's just doing this. He's called, he doesn't matter. And (laughs) (laughs) we find at the end there's, he goes, he's go to his quarters yeah. And there's this lady in his bed. Okay. And she's like, hi, welcome back. And he's like, hi, hi. Um, thanks for waiting, whatever. And it's Maria, his wife. Oh. And you're like, oh shit. Hand. The hand. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, you know, feel like that could have happened at some point else <laughs> previously in his story. <laughs> And right. many years of continuity, everyone comes back to life except for Punisher's family, Uncle Ben, you know, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's there and she's got like her body is like covered in like bullet hole scars. Oh, okay. And only if you can see the art. Yeah, 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 yeah. So turns out the hand approached Frank and was like, hey. You are the most efficient living <laughs> killer in the world. And he says, why, thank you. <laughs> Join our holy crusade. Join the hand. And we will, in return, give you your wife. I mean. And they they show up with his wife. Already wow. resurrected. So, nitpick. Yeah. Is... 
they call him the most efficient killer in the first issue or yeah. the second issue. And I'm like, I don't know, because Carnage, <laughs> okay. Carnage is a thing. But then the next time they call him out for being the most efficient killer or the one who's like the most successful killer or something, yeah. I don't know. Okay. They qualify it with living <laughs> okay. killer. And I was like, ah, oh. all right, fine. Fair. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, you're you're going up against like Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun here. Like you've got some, right, <laughs> got some competition. So we get these flashbacks to when Frank was ten years old. Also, so another side fact about Frank Castle as a character is he yeah. idolizes Steve Rogers, sure. yep, just like Deadpool does, and so many other mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful members of our Marvel continuity. Yep. And so every time we see uh, kid Frank, he's wearing like a, he's wearing a Captain America shirt and it's just uh-huh. adorable. But anyway, so we get these like flashbacks of him growing up, terrible childhood as one would expect. Mm-hmm. And he's, li- he's also uh, from Queens, by oh, the way. Nice. Frankie from and Queens. And he's, yeah. Yeah. He's, so he's on his, he's on the roof and he hears some screams and basically he uh, sees down on the street, some like gangster person, but like maybe mobster. Cause he's in a suit. Sure. Who like basically runs the neighborhood. Yeah. Beating a woman in front of her husband. Husband tries to get involved and he beats her or him. And nobody on the street says anything. Right. He's just like the invisible killer yeah. in public yeah. to the point where he actually kills the couple. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, Frank sees him walking around like nothing happened. Sure. And so he decides, and so he hated that scene. He hated seeing it. Yeah. So he decides he's going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And so he, <laughs> from a book, he learned how to make homemade napalm. Jesus and Christ, so, Frank. Yeah, so <laughs> he set up a bucket. He did the bucket over the doorway trick on his apartment. Some real Home Alone hours here, except yeah, you know, yeah. with murder. <laughs> yeah, gets doused in his in in napalm, basically because it's he, he had like lighter fluid and mixed in some stuff to make it thicker, so it would mm-hmm. stick to the body more. Yeah, and then he's in a Captain America shirt. And a Captain America mask. <laughs> and he lights he lights a match or whatever, throws it on him, torches up, runs outside, falls, dies, yada, yada. So anyway, that is the story of Frank Castle's first kill. Wow. Immediately after that. Meet, of course. This lady who is from the hand, because all of the narration is from her perspective, talking about Frank. Hmm. She she's the she's the arch priestess of the hand. She approaches child Frank with a tray of three knives and she holds it out to him and says, which one is yours? And then uh, which of these belongs to you? And he's like, you're crazy lady and walks away. Yeah. She basically says, I've I've had my eye on you. The beast has been working through you for ever and it's finally time high slayer is what she calls him finally time that you realize your true purpose 
with the hand. So pause on that message. <laughs> yeah, we'll just let that one simmer for, for a second. You, would you say I am a nice person? Yeah. I would too. At least I try to be. Mm-hmm. So for the longest time, that was it. Yeah. I was a nice person. Yeah. And then in high school, I started going to a youth group. Yeah. And one of the adult leaders said, uh, would tell me that she sees like Jesus working through me and okay. that I am the embodiment of like a good Christian and this and the other stuff. Whatever. Sure. I say, I, I say this because I'm getting the same vibe here. So sure. There's the high it, priestess yeah. is recontextualizing mm-hmm. what Frank does through her own and way of seeing the world. And she's, yeah, yeah. And she sees it as him working through the beast. Yeah. Or the beast working through him. Yeah. Instead of him just being a cold blood killer. <laughs> just fucking psycho. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. It's just like. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a cold blood killer. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but so, so she is. Because this book is narrated from her perspective, that's how we're seeing everything. And that's how she she gives the message that is Frank Castle. And like anytime he sets an example, she'll Mm -hmm. look to her other hand and be like, look at what the high slayer does in the beast's name. You need to get on his level. Like he she's she's proselytizing (laughs) Frank Castle. He he's he's a prophet, basically. Right. Yes. He is the he is the chosen fist of yeah. the beast. Yeah. In the same way that Kunlun has the iron fist as chosen, yeah. like the, the badass for Kunlun, the hand have the fist and there hasn't been a fist of the hand in a long time. Okay. And we finally found, we finally found Frank and he is the fist of the hand. Okay. Okay. Unpause. <laughs> so that is high priestess. Looking at Frank and seeing the beast in him. Yeah. Through the issues, we find out that the head of this war profiteering cartel is Ares, the Greek god of war. Holy shit. Hey, who'd have thought? (laughs) Who'd have thought? So we see Ares at the end of issue two. He's talking to a gang member that he sold weapons to. Mm -hmm. And Ares is confused. He's like, I sold you these guns, and yet no death has been made in my name. What's up? And the guy's like, Yeah, we, you know, we bought the guns and the other and our rival gang backed down because they saw our firepower. It helped it helped bring peace to before he could finish. That sentence, a <laughs> fist replaces his face. Sure. <laughs> yes. And he's like, how dare you use the P word around me? And <laughs> he and his men slaughter the gang. And he's just like, we are here to make war. War. This is my church. Uh-huh. <laughs> war is why we are here. I am war. And let that be a lesson to all of you. Like he's, he's like ripping people in half. It's, it's a whole thing. So he's selling all these guns to generate more chaos and more war because that is his way. Okay. So, so finally 
everything finally comes to a head and Punisher and War, or sorry, Punisher and Ares <laughs> have a standoff. And yeah. Ares is like, bro, <laughs> what the hell? Mm-hmm. Like the first, you said, so Punisher sent a team of hand ninja to go deal with him. And he was originally going to go with them. But um, something happened with Maria. She's like, she's losing her mind because she thinks she's confused as someone who was gunned down in the park years ago and just sure. now got brought back uh, would be. Makes sense. And she's like, I feel like we forgot something. Where are the kids? Kids are coming. Yeah. yeah, um, So they, they, the hand only brought her back, not the kids. The hand haven't been able to bring the kids back. Okay. Seems like a mighty convenient narrative technique for some reason. Well, primarily because, and I think primarily because, let's see, something, something, something. Kids are definitely deceased. Basically, the kids are got mutilated by these bullets, whereas mm. the wife, Maria, just got shot and died from blood loss, I guess. Okay. But basically, they're, they've tried. Yeah. multiple times to bring the kids back in front of Frank and like the bodies just aren't coming together. And the high priestess breaks it down a little bit. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's later. It's not entirely important, but the point is Frank is distracted. Yeah. He's dealing with slash protecting Maria. Yeah. While also trying to do all this hand stuff. And so when the hands show up without Frank, Ares destroys them and he gets and he's offended that Frank <laughs> didn't show up in person and he's hiding behind the hand. Sure. And then you have Ares calling when now when they have the face off, Ares calls him out and he's like, What happened to you? You uh-huh. used to be my greatest champion. Uh-huh. You yeah. used to you used to go around killing. And maiming and creating chaos. He's, I mean, sounds like he's Ares is being characterized more as a god of death than a god of war, or like mayhem and murder than than war. Although Punisher does consider it a war, you know, war journal, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so Ares considered. Punisher, one of his greatest champions, mm-hmm. on top of the high priestess considering right, Punisher, exactly. one of the hand's greatest champions. Yeah. And so now we have this these opposing views of who Punisher is and him in the middle. It's exactly <laughs> what you were talking about. Let's Jason Aaron, let's break down the concept <laughs> of this character and what they do. Right? Yeah. And so cool. like Ares is just like. What the f? And then he looks at him. He's like, "Why? Why are you hiding behind the hand?" Yada yada. And he figures out. He's like, "Oh, you have someone to protect now. Mm. You used to have. We need to. You used to have nothing. Yeah. You had nothing to lose, and so you would cause the most chaos. Mm-hmm. And so the hand gave you something to protect now. And so now Ares is upset at the high priestess <laughs> for, for making breaking Frank. For yeah, for breaking Punisher. Yeah." <laughs> And so that now is That's like funny. So you ha- yeah. So now you have these two ideologies going at each other. Yeah. Both kind of in the name of Frank Castle. Right. <laughs> and I'm just I'm eating this up. <laughs> it's <pretty laughs> I'm so much fun with this. 
God. And so, oh, we had, there's more flashbacks about how Frank learned how to play hockey. And like, there's, there's a scene where where he got uh, in trouble and expelled uh, from school. There's um, stories about hockey and him just Mm -hmm. going ham and just fighting legally. (laughs) There's this other kid that he met that he kind of like protected for a bit and like, just different seeds yeah. of, you know, how Frank became the Punisher. Yeah. And then, oh yeah. So Ares, when he calls out the high priestess, he says that she's been planting memories, false memories in Frank. And oh. that's how she's been manipulating him. Interesting. So now. Interesting claim. So now every flashback, because, oh, because yeah. the, the, the the joy of the art when you have like Frank fighting in hockey, yeah. they like visualize it where he's like wearing like uh, oh, the same yeah. skull that he has in the hand. Yeah, yeah. And like he's just like growing into his hand armor kind of a thing. Yeah. And on top of that, there are five signs, five, five like sigils of the beast. Okay. And he has gotten two of them. Oh. Okay. One is the eyes. And so his eyes glow red now. Okay. When he like utilizes it. And it lets you know things about the person you're gonna kill. I don't know. He basically okay. he was gonna kill someone and then he saw that they had a bomb like wired to their heart. <laughs> so okay. if it stopped, there was an explode. He's like, sure, so he's like, sure. take them away. Yeah. And he was like, Hi priestess, um, how did I know that? And she's okay. like, you have the eyes of the beast now. And then the next one was he has like the fires of the beast. And when he stabbed this character, he like lit on on fire. Okay. And so he has he's shown two of the five gifts of the beast. Okay. So sort of clearly, High Priestess is kind of basically grooming Frank yeah. to become the fist and like yes embrace the fist so sure. which is a weird thing to say <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so freaking while he's doing that while frank is fighting or while frank is dealing with all his hand stuff he ends up choosing one of the daggers and from that plate because high priestess keeps on approaching him with it and She's like, oh, yeah, you chose this dagger. It's some legendary dagger, the first of the thing, the monster. It has a history. And and he's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> but anyway, he uses that dagger and is able to stab Ares. Okay. And Ares is just disappointed. Like, the, <laughs> they have, they basically have a fist fight because cool. anytime Frank tries to pull out a weapon or a gun, uh, Ares just crushes it oh interesting (laughs) and Ares takes removes his helmet and they do their little fist fight thing frank tackles him down on the ground with the with the knife you know straddles him is about to do the two-handed knife plunge into his into his face and Ares catches his hands says you were like a son to me (laughs) looks super pained and then crushes his hands wow breaks the knife Holds up Frank says, says, so falls the son of God, crushes him, (laughs) and leaves him for dead in a fountain in his base. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. And then 
Frank comes to back in at the hand camp, apparently revived by the hand. And and it ends with like Frank just trying to like get his bearings, figure out what's going on. And then yeah. Daredevil shows up and he's like, What the hell are you doing, <laughs> Frank? Interesting. And issue six. So there are there's a couple other things with like examples of how ruthless the hand are trained to be. Yeah. And what the high priestess does in the name of the hand slash in service to Frank. To the point where she chooses these like elite hand members. And instead of being in red, they're in black. And she's like, these are your elites. Sure. Believe in them. And and he's like, no. And she's <laughs> and then she goes, Oh, right. Yeah. Here's the thing. They understand what it's like to be you now because I personally went and killed their families. <laughs> So they are the only survivors. And Frank's like, what? And she's like, yeah, now they get it. And That's immediately, so fucking crazy. Right? <laughs> immediately, Frank stabs her with a sword and rips from her stomach up. And while that happens, like her blood like solidifies. He turns into a monster. He cuts off her head, goes and is like, this place is wrong. Tries to take Maria. They try to escape. As soon as she leaves the grounds, yeah. the magic her like magic uh, barrier goes away and she starts to feel really ill. So he brings her back by the time he gets back, the high priestess is back and looking normal. Like nothing happened. Uh Uh-huh. And it's just like, dude, the hand is weird. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, like it's, it's, it is fun. I'm having so much. I, I want to know is Daredevil going to, introduce a third Mm. facet like is he going to bring in yeah a different perspective on who frank castle is and Mm. then is he going to have to in the end decide who he is going forward like just having so much fun with this awesome but yeah so that is jason aaron's punisher i am loving one Yes, volume yeah. one. I can't wait for more. Cool. I can't. Oh, I need it. I need it. <laughs> I'm also glad to see Aries back. Yeah. So this was the meme that you were telling me about was the one from Moon Knight Core with the uh, Elmo. Yeah, because okay, we'll so many it, people we'll post have it on been, the Facebook group, but yeah, so many people have been the head of the hand. Yeah, that like. And they're all street level heroes because Hand is the like go-to army for a street level hero or street level character. Kingpin's the head of the hand. Electro's been the head of the hand. Daredevil's been the head of the hand. (laughs) (laughs) Punisher now is the high killer, but he's basically the head of the hand. I want to say there's another one. Another person's been the head of the hand. But either way. Yeah. So the meme is people just Elmo from <laughs> Sesame Street. And and the, the caption is uh Marvel Street Level Heroes. And he it's the meme, it's the template where Elmo's like look trying to decide between the healthy fruits and vegetables and the giant pile of sugar, and then he just goes face down right on the sugar. <laughs> it's especially <laughs> funny because it looks like cocaine and it looks it like does. he's just he's just absolutely hoovering <laughs> up some schneef. Yeah. And yeah. And so it's yeah, it's street level heroes. And then 
the pile of sugar is an opportunity to lead the hand. Yeah. <laughs> like, I saw it like the day after I finished this book. And I was like, man, that's, that's too perfect. <laughs> oh, oh once gosh. again, shout out to Moon Knight Core. Oh, man. Because like the hand is one of the few big organizations that only ever have one leader at a time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hydra has multiple factions. AIM has multiple factions. Those are like the only three big armies. (laughs) Secret (laughs) Empire. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So Jason Aaron just really tearing apart Frank Castle and seeing what he's all about. There we go. I, I, how, I already have like a handful of like authors that I love. Yeah. I, I didn't need another, but, <laughs> but Jason Aaron is just, he's just, he's uh, done so much good stuff. He has dude. I, yeah. he, I slept on him for too long. Yeah. I didn't celebrate him until way too late. Not that he's like gone or anything, but right. like he's got such a huge, like he's got such a huge list of great comics already. Yeah. And I never celebrated it. Yeah. <sighs> Jason Aaron. Jason Aaron. There it is. There it is. Okay. So X-Men 92. (laughs) X-Men 92. House of 92. Yeah. House of 92. What a fucking delight. This was wonderful. This was more fun than I thought it was going to be. I enjoyed every. There's some points at which I was concerned that maybe we were spoiling ourselves, especially towards Mm. the end. But, you know, it's hard to say how much this is diverging because this is published after our like our reading is of of real Krakoa X-Men is so right. far behind that mm-hmm. it's hard to know exactly what you know this this has been published further along than our reading is and it covers so much Krakoa. Yeah that, like every issue is a whole era yeah. of Krakoa basically. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. So it it was hard to know whether we were spoiling ourselves or whether because a lot of stuff changes too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what a fun take on this. Yeah, and the artist that they get is is very reminiscent of the animated series. Like oh, it's, yeah. they're, they're not pulling in like Bianchi or no. Land or something like that. Like they they got this artist for a very specific purpose. And yeah, had and a great time with it. And they knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The art is is absolute dead ringer. And so many like so issue one is basically shot for shot House of X. Like yeah. panel for panel, it's the exact same thing, just with the you know different characters in their place to to have everybody be in X Men ninety two like introduced characters, continuities, co- uh, costumes, stuff like that. So like, mm-hmm. and and you know made family friendly. So like when the X Men die on the uh, the Orcus base, the the Mother Mold uh, platform, they are revived in their costumes rather than naked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause honestly, there's yeah. no reason why they shouldn't like, if you can make any, you can make the TO virus in, an, in the, in those <laughs> eggs, you can make clothes. <laughs> Just want to see some superhero dong, man. Come on. Yeah. I guess so. So uh, yeah. the new five. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Redone for 92. Yeah. So it's, Proteus as normal. That's the only one. (laughs) (laughs) 
mm-hmm. but but they replaced te- uh, Tempest with Tempo, and I'm guessing Hope with uh, Fabian Cortez, right? And Elixir with Healer from the Morlocks, and they also brought in Karma. I guess uh, she would be in place of well, Proteus, like, technically Egg. Oh yeah, because. They have Proteus making the eggs in this right. five. Oh, right. Okay. Instead of having an yeah. egg. <laughs> it's and cool. Yeah, and yeah. They have these like 90s like ad like yes. straight out of like use the flashy colors and, yes. and and breakdowns and stuff and like the three rules. And it's like harm no human, treat Kakoa the way you'd like to be treated. <laughs> Make more mutants, ask an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it's great. And then the the big sort of so yeah, it's 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 panel for panel House of X one, which I don't think we really need to go into here. I don't know if this would be anywhere near as good if you hadn't read House of X Powers of Ten. Yeah, like it it seems to serve the dual f- function of like if if there is a kid who's reading, this is like a a kid friendly way to introduce this story to them. But I don't think that they would actually get the the full enjoyment of this book not having read actual House of X. Like, just so many of the references are so cheeky. Mm-hmm. But the big twist at the end is that instead of Moira McTaggart as the the mastermind of it all, it's the the recently considered deceased Jubilee. Yeah, and then like they. They place her as far as like what her death was, quote unquote, yes. as like the opening scene to the first X Men episode. But in, but instead of morph, they did Jubilee. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> this is cool, so cool, and and yeah, and she has the full Moira X powers of ten, you know, multiple li- many lives powers, mm-hmm. and then it goes like. Very quickly through Krakoa continuity, you know, we're kind of like, we, yeah, yeah, we, after the first issue, we basically rush through all of Dawn of X in, in like one issue instead of Kitty Pride, Rogue is the, the captain of the Marauder with an all gay crew. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Gambit's like, why, why can't I go on this? Uh, you know, should I be worried? Uh, <laughs> and Rogue's like, LOL, no. So it's like Iceman. I didn't know I didn't know Grizzly was gay, but yes. Iceman, yeah. North Star. Come to find out. Yep. God, just these 90s designs, dude. Like some like the my only reference for Grizzly is like your old trading cards. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh hey, I, I know oh, him. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so the fatal conflict of uh, House of 92, rather than the the mystique conflict and being able to, uh, un- unwilling to resurrect destiny, is this like Logan Jubilee thing going on. And then Sabretooth gets involved, et cetera, et cetera. We can come back to that. What do you think of the different council? The the inner circle? Yeah. Or the bad guys? No, the, the, the inner, the, the, the ruling council, the, um, of 12 or whatever. Oh yeah. Cause we've Let's got, see. Oh yeah. Cause we've got Archangel. Yeah. We've got um, Cyclops, Archangel, Omega red and Callisto on the council instead of 
Kurt, mm-hmm. Kitty Pride, Sebastian Shaw, and Exodus. Right. And I think it works. Like, I just conceptually appreciate having Callisto on the council. Me too. Warlock <laughs> representation. Hell right. yeah. Because, like, like uh, clearly... Kirk, regular Krakoa has an agenda and they tailor chose yes like their members but she is a significant leader of in mutant history yeah 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 and like this feels more aligned with like an Illuminati roster uh-huh where each member represents yeah. a specific community with Illuminati, they re- represent a specific superhero community or a powered yeah. community for to represent Earth. Where it's excuse me, whereas here you have someone like Callisto that represents a very specific <laughs> large group of the mutant community. Yeah. This is so much fun. I mean, granted, so does Shaw is there. Yeah. <laughs> and she has close relations with the Morlocks, so like right. okay, has but, been leader of Morlock of the Morlocks also, yeah. et cetera. But this 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 works. I yeah. there's there's much less sass because they're doing yeah. the '90s sinister, yes, <laughs> not the current sinister, yes. But it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do they do these? Do the bad guys have a name? Just in certain citizens. Yeah, yeah. The basically yeah, the Orcus people. I loved their take on Cameron Hodge. Oh, just, <laughs> just like it was like I have some ideas on what what to do with them. It's like we we're not going to put up with one of your Jackson Pollock art body horror art projects. Again. <laughs> yeah, the the members of the Orcus group. Yeah, you've got like Graydon Creed, which yep. is awesome. Guy Rich, obviously, Lady yep. Deathstrike. Yeah, Donald Pierce. Uh, reverse stuff, Boulevard Trask, yep. Cameron Hodge, as you mentioned, and then GW Bridge. Yeah. He's not an anti-mutant bigot. He just is sick right. of Cable's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he was at one point, my favorite reference for GW Bridge is literally your 90s <laughs> yeah. pop Fleer card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that he was the Head of Shield before Fury, yeah, before Nick. Uh, no, just kind of interim. The same time, interim some, head of Shield. It one of the many times that Nick gets removed for whatever reason, he gets instated instead. There you go. <laughs> and yeah, so they put together the Tri Sentinel. Yeah, Tri Sentinel being a uh, big deal in 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 the lore of the mutants. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> having enacted the the Genosian genocide. The characterization of Storm is hilarious. Oh, they yeah. Grew, every single artist and writer in this book <laughs> grew up watching. Yes. And she just cartoons. calls out all of her actions. Uh, winds carry us aloft. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So then we just kind of run straight into Ten of Swords, X of Swords, Cross of Swords, whatever. Ten. The, yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Who is it? it po- Polima- uh, yeah, uh, it's Archon. run by Archon of Polamachus rather than by all the complicated other world continuity bullshit. bullshit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that Archon is, you know, 
any less obscure or or, or <laughs> anything like that. And his involvement in the X-Men in particular is uh, really limited to a couple of annuals from the 80s. But, <laughs> you know, maybe he maybe they did make a uh, animated series episode with him. I don't remember. Mm. But, yeah, he's the the leader, the monarch of this other dimensional realm called Polamachus. And for whatever reason, decide, you know, he so they do the whole Araco plot through him. And he calls the Ten of Swords tournament. And, and they do the whole Ten of Swords in one issue, which I enjoyed. <laughs> they even did the, like, when they die on yes. Morocco. They come back different. They come, yeah, come back altered. Yeah. And so forearm comes back as six arms. As more arms. <laughs> yeah, more arms. <laughs> Archon's chosen ten are fun. Yes. Yeah. Brood. Sauron, Juggernaut, Deathstrike, Carol, Danvers, Eric the Red, War, Famine, Pestilence, and Arcade. Although it doesn't end up being Brood, it's Deadpool. Deadpool <laughs> piloting a Brood. <laughs> and and his, his fight with, with Psylocke is hilarious. Uh, he's like, are you still British? Are we just going to skip over the problematic body swap stuff? <laughs> God, I love it. Small fun fact. Yeah. So Juggernaut, instead of having a sword, he has a giant hammer. Mm-hmm. And it's the same design as the hammer he uses in... In Fear Itself? In uh, Fear Itself. Nice. Like, it's that same rounded yeah. look mallet. That's dope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the combatants on the X-Men side are Archangel, Psylocke, Shatterstar, Storm, uh, Storm Silver Samurai, Cyclops, Wolverine, Nightcola, Rogue, and... A guy named Solar, who yeah. I had to look up on the wiki, and he's just a real nobody. <laughs> and, you know, had some team up with Spider-Man or Captain America or somebody. It doesn't matter. He's just there to die and be he one lasted of, one frame. Yeah. <laughs> be one of the people who gets uh, gets returned different. And he's, you know. Because uh, with the the color scheme shift and the moon emblem on his chest, they don't ever explicitly name him, but I'm guessing he's now Lunar. Mm. Both are spelled A-R. Solar is spelled S-O-L-A-R-R. Yeah. So anyway, Genesis shows up. Yeah. Wife of Apocalypse Genesis shows up, ends it. Warren stays behind uh, on Polamachus with Apocalypse. Beast also dies, comes in and immediately, like to to give some warnings or something. Immediately dies and is brought back and is is just Dark Beast, like AOA Dark Beast, you know, yeah. metal so leg cool. covering whole nine yards, the braids, <laughs> yes, and extremely evil. And Silver Samurai comes back as the Golden Samurai, yes, <laughs> and so. This was the first thing that made me think, is there a spoiler going on here? Because Dark Beast, we have uh, our suspicions about whatever uh, Henry McCoy is doing right now. I don't think that, you know, I don't know. I don't think that this is necessarily, like, if it is, it's yeah. it's, it's so different 
how they mm-hmm. got to it, that it's not really a spoiler. Yeah. It, it, it's more just like we have our theories that are ongoing anyway, and this neither confirms nor denies them. So it's not really <laughs> even a spoiler. Yeah. But just kind of something that was on my mind. For sure. Issue four. <laughs> it goes straight to the Hellfire Gala. To the Hellfire Gala. The Inner Circle Gala yes. in this timeline. And then you get fun little cameos yes. from non-X-Men characters. Such as? Azazel shows up in the background. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> he's, he's, right next, he's right in front of Uatu. Uh-huh. <laughs> 90s Thor with the helmet that covers his eyes and a giant beard. Yes. White vision. Yes. Black Knight is here. Destiny's alive. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Spider-Man shows up. Uh-huh. And then you have just fun little like one-offs. So like Hulk, Ghost Rider, and, and Wolverine are in the same yeah. shot. For fan, you know, new Fantastic Four purposes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Black Panther and Forge both ask Storm for a dance. <laughs> yeah. You have Thing with his helmet on. Yes. Because that was a thing From, in the 90s. Because, and that's Wolverine's fault. Mm-hmm. He cut his face open. Just wild. I know. <laughs> and then they go, basically go straight to uh, nominations for the new yeah. X-Men. Oh, the, sorry. The other thing, Chuck goes up to Reed and is like, "We need to, we need to do, you know, we need to talk about Franklin." And Reed does the full '90s talk to the hand because the face don't give a damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they do the new X Men, and somehow Random gets voted <laughs> by all the mutants. I mean, he is un- undeniably '90s character. He is. Random is so interesting. So the new X-Men are Polaris, Random, Gene, Sunfire, Cyclops, Rogue, and Wolfsbane. Yep. And then they terraform. That's That's Wolfsbane. No, it's Wolfsbane. And then they terraform Asteroid X instead of Mars. Instead of Mars, yeah. There's some talk about, like, you know, this is the new, uh, among Orcus, about, like, you know, this is replacing the USSR. This is our new Cold War. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, we just got the Iron Curtain down. What the hell? Yeah. So that was funny. And uh, Prince is a mutant, the pop star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, where is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Other X-Gene carriers, uh, Schwarzenegger, Cage, and Culkin. <laughs> the most random choices. And then Hon- Prince. Honestly, honestly, Prince is, is, makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Dude. A Prince Dazzler album? Come on. Come on. Let's do it. Hell yeah. And then, so we had some fatalities to council or, and people stepping down. Yeah, some vacancies on the Quiet Council. And so they add Sunspot, Mirage, Beast, who is Dark Beast, and Madam Web. I legit did not know that Madam Web was a mutant. Neither did I. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was looking to you for confirmation. No, dude. Okay. Because for me, Madam Web died around when I started reading comics in depth. Okay. So I didn't get much Madam Web. Sure. Because she passed on her 
webness stuff to, to Julia, Julia Carpenter. Carpenter. Yeah. And that was super early on in okay. my comic book reading. Yeah. So I did not know she was a mutant either. <laughs> Interesting. So she's yeah, but, on the, yeah. she's on the no fly list for, uh, for resurrections too. Right? She's gotta be. Yeah. Precog. Also that, that would really mess with the web. <laughs> sure. And yeah. And dark beast. Complete with his freaking metal legs. Just, I know, right? It's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Robotrask purges Orcus of, and he's got the the whole like team, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Krang like uh, thing going on. <laughs> yeah. And now he's, he's in a yeah. sentinel body now and he purges yeah. the rest of Orcus of non-robots. And then mm-hmm. they invade Krakoa. McCoy gets uh, mutant chimeras, like clone chimeras approved, which is a throw forward to powers of 10, right? And something that seems to be on Sinister's wish wish list with all this cloning bullshit going on. <laughs> this is another thing that I was thought might be. Yeah, issue five, now that you pointed out. Yeah. I think because the cover to issue five. Yeah, I think is an issue cover that is on like one of the one of the X of X books (laughs) further from where we're at right now. Okay, because I've seen this cover on Reddit. Okay, well, but not obviously. Yeah, with you know these characters, but yeah. So now we have an upgraded Bolivar. Yes. In a Nimrod body. Yeah. Just one-shotting the X-Men. Yeah. And the the Chimeras are approved. The the combinations of different X-Men bodies into a single clone. The secret about Jubilee is cracked. And, you know, she gets sort of like a... Uses one of her... Basically, Phoenix uses her, the Phoenix Force, to jumpstart Jubilee's powers to get her an extra resurrection beyond what it was said that, you know, she could do to, to reset the timeline again and hopefully do better this time. And she comes back playing the X-Men arcade game from the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. So like, yeah, even like big pick, like if that is a like telegraph of what we're going to get. Right. I don't know if they would spoil that far ahead. Cause that certainly hasn't been, you know, well, like we'd have to get the Phoenix Force here, right? Which, which means prying it away from Echo, which yeah, which means stealing it from Echo, yeah. But then also, what does that do? Because in the way Mora's power works is her knowledge and consciousness just goes back to right. when her X gene activates in the same timeline, right? Like, <laughs> So, like, nothing changes for everyone else that's left. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not, I <laughs> I don't know if that part is going yeah. to be too telegraphed. I agree with that. I, th- I feel like they're going to, I feel like there's going to be, well, I mean, obviously this, I mean, this is what, 70 issues of X titles <laughs> crammed <laughs> <Yeah>. into five. <laughs> yeah. So, like. Which what the, I was gonna say. Kudos to to that. Like that's an incredible <laughs> yeah, feat of summary <laughs> and condensation. Yeah, because like I was gonna say, they're probably they would 
spend more time post reveal because I yeah. think I think Moira once she's like public, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of things are going to be set in motion. Yeah, I agree with that. And like, yeah. Oh man, I <laughs> I really want and I really don't want Moira to get revealed. Yeah. Ugh. Well, okay. So how did so you so you you liked this, right? That was oh, I, I I enjoyed the hell out of it. That was that was yeah. It was it was it's weird because it's like it felt like it, the pacing and the storytelling and the art was straight out of yes. the nineties. Yes, uh, specifically the cartoon, the nineties, and yes. like they really leaned in on Gambit's terrible accent <laughs> and Rogue's terrible accent and. Yes. <laughs> Storm casting all of her spells instead of just <laughs> using her powers. Like it was just, it was so much fun. It, it was it, a lot it, of fun. It was a throwback to when costumes and characters were so much flashier mm-hmm. than they are now. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of funny because nothing seemed evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, like, it all is felt that like what the, it was like for us as a kid. Uh huh. It really did feel like the Saturday morning cartoon version of Powers of Ten, which like is such a a a, a story that's dominated by like tone and mood and like <laughs> you know vague sense of foreboding and yeah. you know like definitely you know arch continuity and and heavy themes going on and and to be able to adapt that into a saturday morning cartoon is really remarkable yeah it really is it cannot be uh understated enough <laughs> or stated enough uh whatever it can't uh, be overstated sure Shut there up. we go <laughs> but yeah no that was that was a lot of fun i i do and i don't want more yeah but it it was it, it was definitely because there's been a lot of other X Men ninety two right there was an X Men <laughs> so there um, in Secret Wars right. twenty sixteen one of the realms was X Men ninety two uh huh and that was volume zero okay. and then so they just kept on telling that world I think yeah. they did two more volumes okay did you read it. Okay, but I bought them. Six one six. Okay, it's not six one six. I bought them and I just didn't read them. There's three titles that I bought that I didn't read. Wow, set in Marvel, but not six one six. Right. Two of them were Spider Man. Maybe now you'll you'll come back to it at some point if you have a light week or something. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, cool. So you're reading, you're, you're, yeah. I, I, want, I can't give me, give me Mutant X. <laughs> you want Mutant X first? <laughs> no, I can just get there, get there in the order you read it. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll start with the good stuff. <laughs> X-Men Hellfire Club was, was fun. It's just, it, there's a lot of stuff where it's like, okay, I see where you're like a real over-reliance on characters who have the same name as current Marvel characters are like, this is their ancestor and they are the exact oh. same character as, you know, their, their descendant, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still fun. So like, I also really like the art, the colors kind of like this flat sepia toned, you know, colored version of it. Um, penciler was Char- Charlie Adlard, who apparently got famous through walking dead. 
And so there's a frame story kind of containing this whole thing. Irene Merriweather is working on a story about history of the Shaw family, has a tip that they were involved in the Salem witch trial. So she goes to Salem, goes to this church, asks a priest who tells her this whole story begrudgingly uh, about Reverend Hiram Shaw, who was kind of a, a lead instigator in the Salem witch trials and was mostly kind of knows that it's bullshit, but is inflaming the frenzy to gain power, you know, locally. And there's a twist that he's also the Sorcerer Supreme. It's really weird. Anyway, his son, Obadiah Shaw, is in love with a girl accused of being a witch named Abby. We learn, you know, just like two pages later, her last name is Harkness. And so, you know, Reverend Hiram is asleep in bed and kind of gets kidnapped by Dormammu in his sleep, is shown the dark future of his bloodline, wakes up, his wife is super dead. He frames Abby for the death, even though it was clearly Dormammu. Uh, Obadiah breaks her out. They flee to London together. As they're fleeing, it turns out Abby actually is a witch, (laughs) which, okay, (laughs) it's not really a really weird sort of like, you know, take on the Salem witch trials that they actually were all witches, but that's fine. And then back to the frame story, uh, Irene leaves the church and the priest is shot dead. What year is this set in again? Set? Like this flashback? The flashback was during the Salem, which, you know, 1640, whatever. Yeah. Is Abby Harkness? Yeah. God, because I think Agatha Harkness was there too. (laughs) Yeah, I don't doubt it. I mean... Hmm. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Like, because the the whole implication of, like, lineage and stuff. But I think that she was there. But doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Sorry. Continue. The next issue, she goes to Philadelphia to meet with a professor, Professor Thornton, Thornton Fieldish, a colonial historian and genealogist who we later find out has also been murdered. She's in a bar. She comes across Archangel instead. Even Warren won't speak on the record about this stuff, but he tells a story in 1780, paranoid mood. Benedict Arnold has just been revealed to be a traitor. Philadelphia is extremely tense and conspiratorial. Elizabeth Shaw, who is a penniless street urchin, fled back to America at age 13 uh, and is picked up by an opportunistic Lady Grey. And Lady Grey, this was way back in the Dark Phoenix saga. This was the vision that Mastermind showed Jean, claimed that Jean had an ancestor who was, you know, a black queen of the Hellfire Club and gave her visions of her, like, living out Lady Grey's life. Mm -hmm. So according to this story, she was a real person. She was, you know, black queen or red queen or whatever of of the Hellfire Club. She's a high society redhead hosting a banquet for military hero, Major General Wallace Worthington, who has been tabbed to succeed Benedict Arnold as the, you know, commandment, uh, commandant of Philadelphia, except, you know, he's completely broke at this point in the revolutionary war. He's been fighting alongside Ulysses Bloodstone and a guy named that the same Ulysses Bloodstone, of course, and a guy Mm -hmm. named captain Rogers who has been, uh, and you know, heavy implication. He is the masked revolutionary war hero, captain America, 
This was apparently a real, a previously established character dating back to 1975, despite there also being an alternate continuity that Steve Rogers' parents were both Irish immigrants. Right. So, you know, comics are contradicting themselves. What can you do? So Lady Grey sends Liz Shaw after Wallace Worthington to seduce him and extract military secrets because all of these hellfire folks are loyalists to England. But Liz Shaw and Major General Worthington fall in love and get married. So Lady Grey has uh, Worthington killed. And the Hellfire Club's been going on strong in London for quite some time, but this is the first iteration of it in the States. The other Lords Cardinal are Diana Knight, Patrick Clemens, and George Clinton. Crucially, not George Clinton from Parliament Funkadelic. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. A real shame. <laughs> So, yeah, so this is how we find out that the Shaws and the Worthingtons are related going way back. And uh, Warren says, watch your step. Basically, everybody's dead, <laughs> you know, in this story. And she's like, eh, whatever. So her next stop, Irene's next stop on the story is she arrives in the UK. And, you know, Union Jack and Jacqueline Crit. Crichton, a.k.a. Spitfire, save her from getting gunned down on the street like as she leaves the airport. Spitfire tells her the story of her father, who was the original Union Jack. Back in 1915, ancestor of Donald Pierce, Walton Pierce, tries to recruit Union Jack's buddy Esau Shaw to the inner circle after his father Cornelius' death, but Esau turns them down. Uh, once again, the club is on the wrong side of a war. This time it's World War One. Esau, who's still a part of the club, but not the inner circle, hangs out, is like hanging out with the Zemo twins there. And Pierce stabs Esau in the back. Esau, Esau's little brother, Jacob, is jealous of, you know, his brother's inheritance and, and invitation to the Hellfire Club, et cetera, et cetera, and basically everything. So he's approached by Sinister, who injects him with some creepy power serum and turns him into a shape shifter. He turns into a woman and sleeps with Pierce, and then later joins the Hellfire Club in Esau's stead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, dude. For some reason, we're supposed to doubt Irene Merriweather in this whole thing. Like her chase of this story is set up to be a mirror of the Shaw's family's chase of power, which I didn't buy at all. Those don't seem to be equivalent in any <laughs> way, but you know, it seems really important to the story that we believe it. So whatever, <laughs> go off next. Irene is kidnapped. She's taken to China. She's confronted by Tessa, AKA Sage, who at this point is still working for Shaw. So this, you know, older continuity, I suppose. This also makes me think this has got to be set before Irene became Cable's biographer, right? And Sage telepathically shows Irene Shaw's childhood in a small town near Pittsburgh, uh, Sebastian Shaw's childhood. So we're finally up to current generation. Sebastian grew up in a small town near Pittsburgh. He worked in a steel mill, got a full ride to college to become an engineer. 
and told his dad while his dad was on his deathbed, you know, about getting into college. And then his powers manifest in a fight against bullies in a pool hall, graduates top of his class, gets right after the business empire. He's a millionaire by 30, a billionaire by 40. He falls in love with Lourdes Chantal. He's inducted into the Hellfire Club alongside Warren Warren Worthington II, Howard Stark, Hmm. and John Braddock. And he slowly gathers his group of loyalists who would become the inner circle slash Lord's Cardinal. He proposes to Lordis. And then we get a recap of that scene that we've read recently, the flashback from the Hellfire Gala. And then we have Shaw and the inner circles take over of the club. You know, the, the, all the mutants plus Pierce basically. Yeah. Yeah. So we get back to the present Shaw sort of like walks through the door with Irene and Tessa and he says, uh, you know, you have the story now, Irene, but no paper is going to publish this. So, you know, fuck off. I'm not going to kill you. I got to respect the hustle. He invites her to join the Hellfire Club and she refuses. She wakes, bu- wakes up back at home and calls JJJ, J. Jonah Jameson, thinking he's the only idiot who will actually put himself in enough danger to publish this. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. Wow. Yeah. I think I think there was one non-named yeah. last non-established last name. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking full with them. Just absolutely lousy with like, hey, look at this person. Man, like that must be so much fun to do though. Yeah, for sure. To like introduce this kind of legacy type stuff. Totally. Cause like, and a lot of it is like it would make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, yeah, to have a Stark or Worthington for sure members of this Hellfire Club. Well, it's thing. it's established that the Worthington family are long, long time members. And I think the Stark family, too. And actually the Braddock family, I think all of those have already been established. OK. Yeah. OK. But yeah, like it's I imagine while it would be difficult while you're like writing down the notes and like <laughs> how you're going to make it work out. Yeah. I imagine once it's done, that would be one of your favorite stories. That you yeah, think. you're just like, hey. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. How many issues was that? That was four issues. Solid. Yeah. All right. We've got this Spider-Man and Marrow special. Okay. So when did this come out? It was published February 2001. Ah. Okay. Straczynski took over. So the oldest issue I have is when Straczynski first took over. Excuse me. That's a lie. I have some others, but (laughs) he took over on issue number 30, which was June, 2001. Oh, okay. Was there something going on with MJ during that time? Absolutely. Presumed dead or were they broken up or? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Marital problems. So she had a miscarriage Uh, and their relationship was on the rocks. And so she went to Hollywood for a little bit. Sure. To act or whatever. And Pete goes and gets a teaching job. And then by three months, two months later. So he like starts his teaching job in Straczynski's second issue. And then his third issue is when he starts doing the spider totem stuff. Yes. And just runs off with that. Yes. (laughs) Okay, cool. So that's that's the continuity we're working with here. 
at this point, Peter lives with Randy <laughs> again, and who takes him to a night out on the club. Peter's really bummed about having split with MJ, but Randy's like, you know, she would want you to get on with your life. MJ would want you to get on with your life and, you know, get after it. And so they're out at the club and Peter meets a cocktail waitress who was at one of his guest lectures at ESU. They meet up after she gets off work. And then he stumbles across a guy who's been brutally murdered by bone daggers that look like marrows. And Marrow is also at the scene of the crime. She speaks in the third person now. She's all of her progress about controlling her powers and and controlling her appearance and all that stuff is is just gone completely out the window. And she's just seems like she's mentally, mentally, physically just lost it in every way. Uh, and then he doesn't end up seeing his date, this cocktail waitress, but she's at his next guest lecture the next day. So no worries. They meet up anyway. Her name's Sarah, by the way, she asks him to spend the night. And then after he says no, uh, and he says no, cause he's still raw about the breakup, but then some big guys with needles attack, uh, attack her, Sarah. He flips her away across some rooftops. And then Sharon Carter, who is the head of shield at this point, I guess on hover bikes crashes in, turns out, Obviously, this girl Sarah is Marrow. She's been implanted with false memories from S.H.I.E.L.D. and this false identity of this college student. And they've been using her to kill rogue LMDs, basically. But she got loose. And so they have a big fight on top of the Manhattan Bridge. Marrow jumps off, which I don't know if that's supposed to be a Gwen Stacy reference, but whatever. She's fine. She ends up in the sewers back with Gene Nation. Yeah, that's the whole story. Okay. Yeah, so he is technically married, but they're separated. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> like that'll ever come up again. But still, it's nice to check. <laughs> Deadpool. Yep. Deadpool. In the last Deadpool story arc, Loki was claiming to be Deadpool's dad, kidnapped him to outer space. When he... Uh, when Deadpool turned him down. Yeah, it was like, get the hell out of here. He cursed, basically cursed Deadpool. He was like, you'll carry this curse until you seek your father's forgiveness. And the curse is that he has Tom Cruise's face. <laughs> <laughs> and he can't get rid of it. You know, he tries maiming himself, jumping off buildings onto his face, you know, every sort of horrible way that you can to... He hates it. Not that he particularly enjoys his own face, but he was used to it. And he just, it would have been funny if they put in something like he particularly can't stand Tom Cruise, but they don't. But like every, every oh. like couple pages, somebody's like, say, hey, aren't you Tom Cruise? And it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> he goes to his wife, Mercedes's grave, but she, he remembers that she isn't dead. And also she isn't his wife. <laughs> and, <laughs> Because he just needs some advice. He calls Teresa uh, Siren, but she can't talk anymore because of the whole getting her vocal cords cut. He goes to see Typhoid Mary because one of her many personas is acting on Broadway in Death of a Salesman. She did rape him and it was terrible, but whatever, I guess. I don't know. He goes to Hell House, the, the place where he was getting all of his Merc assignments during the Joe Kelly run. But Patch is gone and he's like, all right. I don't have anybody. He goes home. 
The security system at home doesn't recognize him because of his Tom Cruise face and it blows up, blows up his costume. And so he goes to whatever, you know, go-to costume manufacturer and for villains. And and he's like, well, it's going to take me a while to make you one of these. So in the meantime, he gives him a sort of mix and match thing with Wolverine legs, a Spider-Man top, a trench coat, and a Razorback mask. So the (laughs) the, the little pig head. He later gets this crappy new costume that's like supposed to be serious. It's like... I don't know. It's just bad. He he needs a new place to live now, so he rents a villain lair subletting from Doc Ock. And his roommates are uh, Constrictor and Titania. For some reason, Titania and Absorbing Man seem to be on the outs or whatever. He accuses Titania. Uh, Wade mistakes this for a fight because they're just hanging out. And in the fight, he accuses Titania of having fake boobs. They all turn it around pretty quickly and become buds. <laughs> there's a lot of like banters here right like like all of the titania constrictor scenes are basically an episode of seinfeld like basically wade what is, is the deal with wade <laughs> what is the deal with superhero what is the deal with web fluid it's around for an hour and then it goes away i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so basically Constrictor is George, Titania is Elaine, and Wade is Jerry. It it's it's just Seinfeld. But they do, you know, like the kind of nerd arguments and stuff. So like who you got? And well, they only do one of those. And I thought I would open the question to you. Dracula versus Bugs Bunny, who you got in a fight? Bugs. Right? That's Deadpool's. That's Deadpool's position. They're like, Dracula can turn to mist. And and then Deadpool's like, he just pulls a vacuum out of his pocket. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the whole thing about about a Looney Tune. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You can't beat cartoon logic. Mm -hmm. That's why slapstick is so powerful. Yeah. So they're all in like a supervillain restaurant. Like all the supervillains are just hang out in the restaurant together. I don't know. It's a silly scene. They get they they go back home. Taskmaster breaks into their apartment with a gig for Titania, but they let Deadpool take it instead. It's this elaborate setup to to set up Deadpool to get him killed, steal a bunch of money from him. Nobody can really you know agree on what they're trying to do here, and they're taking. So Wade goes to a orbital plat, an old orbital platform that used to be used by Baron Zemo. And takes along three graduates of Taskmaster's villain college, Eclecta, Pyron, and Malavik. And they, they just suck. He he ends up renaming them, you know, like dead what? Dead weight, dead air, and dead I don't know. It a lot of the jokes in this just didn't really land. I'm kind of repeating the funny ones. <laughs> you <but> can't tell. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's kind of like Christopher Priest just really didn't have a solid handle on Deadpool as a character. He kind of wrote, you know, went for the zany and the the banters and the sarcasm and the, you know, smart mouth or whatever, but didn't really do like a lot of what kind of makes Deadpool work like dirty and uncomfortable, like dirty, not like not like foul mouth, but like just literally dirty, just like a, a filthy man. 
and just kind of gross and uncomfortable, but also overly sexual. I don't know. There's a very particular like voice or niche for Deadpool that is very unique and it just didn't quite get hit here. But up in space, everybody's trying to double cross each other. They leave him stuck in this disabled escape pod. He gets abducted by alien pirates, gets talking into it, infiltrating an asteroid prison colony to free their leader, who's named Dirty Wolf with two Fs. Colony blows up with Dirty Wolf, and then the Star Jammers pass by and offer way to ride home. Uh, but they're like, but we have one mission to do first. <laughs> and Wade's like, no, I'll get the next ride. Smart. And so he gets home and he's doing more Seinfeld bits with his roommates. And this hand puppet comes in through the door and starts, you know, said, knock, knock, will you let me in? And, and it's uh, this guy named Achebe. He's a, a minor villain from Black Panther who hasn't been used since. He's got this like giant grin with like cracked teeth. Mm. Anyway, he's apparently, I had to look him up. He's some brilliant guy who formerly made deals with Mephisto and was able to run a coup in Wakanda because the political structure there apparently is just like, <laughs> you know, completely unstable. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And th- but yeah, this was his last appearance in comics ever, which he seems like a fun character to bring back. But anyway, Achebe sets up Deadpool to go after Killmonger who I guess had just come back from the dead to depose T'Challa to become the new Black Panther. And this is a crossover with Black Panther that Priest is also writing at the same time. So yeah, Achebe is like, you know, go, uh, go recover my leopard named Prey. Well, that's Killmonger. Prey with two Ys for some reason. It's actually Killmonger's leopard. And Killmonger is hanging out at Avengers Mansion because he's trying to take over T'Challa's membership in the organization. And the the Avengers are like, we can't decide whether to let this guy in or arrest him. Like, he seems to have, you know, gained, you know, come to power in in Wakanda by completely legal methods according to Wakandan <laughs> laws. We don't really have any, you know reason to to arrest him but like i don't know shit's weird i don't like him and they ask him straight up are you black panther's villain or are you everyone's villain so anyway deadpool shows up to avengers mansion pretending to be animal control and everyone's like hey aren't you tom cruise and he slaps a teleporter on to pray and he accidentally grabs triathlon too because triathlon is playing frisbee with prey and so teleports you know teleports them both back to wakanda and the avengers have to go after him (laughs) uh triathlon runs into deadpool and he's like are we supposed to fight a little i'm new at this (laughs) (laughs) because apparently there's this whole thing where he's triathlon is a new member of the avengers and he was added because they didn't have any black members on their team and Killmonger has some speeches like I I don't know what's you know who I despise more like the the Avengers for needing tokenism or you for accepting it <laughs> which I mean like again it's Killmonger he he he's an asshole who has points and he's enjoyably an <laughs> asshole to the Avengers and just like 
just needling at them and t- telling them how worthless they are the whole time. And it's fun. And they're crawling through the techno jungle underneath Wakanda where T'Challa is apparently hiding out. Achebe turns the tables in the middle of the mission is like, oh, hey, besides the kidnapping, you also have to go kill Killmonger. Achebe wants, just wants to fuck with T'Challa and it's much less fun when he's deposed. Triathlon's also wandering through the techno jungle and he's actually the one who runs into T'Challa. They have this inter- interesting conversation about like how you find your self-worth and, you know, like, cause T'Challa is in like a, a stage of kind of building himself back up from a low point. And so Triathlon just kind of wanders back and there's a big fight between Killmonger and Deadpool that just abruptly ends. Everett Ross has been serving as Wakanda's regent and tries to hitch a ride back to America, but his citizenship has been revoked. And then we go back to the trailer park of canceled heroes that Christopher Priest's run on Deadpool opened with, where every every book that he'd been on had been canceled. And so... Wade has a dream sequence where he, you know, interacts with all of them. They're like, we knew you'd join us eventually. And he's like, oh, my book isn't actually canceled. We're just getting rid of Priest. (laughs) At a certain point, Whiplash comes and repairs Constrictor's coils and does Titania's taxes on a job. And so there's like B plots going on while Wade is off doing his own thing where Titania and Constrictor on a job, they run into Absorbing Man and he doesn't understand what or only constrictor runs into Titania. Titania just kind of like is conveniently missing during this. And he doesn't understand what constrictor is saying about Titania and Creel uh, about an absorbing man who are married being on the outs. Turns out this wasn't Vanessa. This, or this wasn't Titania this whole time. This was Vanessa, AKA copycat, AKA Deadpool's ex. And so Vanessa's been on a job to kill Deadpool hired by the wizard for whatever reason they fight. And since she's been after his money this whole time, he carves his bank account number on her face and, and that ends the fight. And he's like, whatever, you can just shape shift it off. Uh, And so she takes all of his money. He uses his last dollar. He goes to a bar trying to pick a bar fight just to lift his spirits he can't even do that, and he apologizes to the old guy who he was trying to pick a fight with, and suddenly his curse is lifted from Loki, and his face is back to usual. I would say back to normal, but there's nothing normal about that thing. And so we're left to wonder, like, was that his dad in there? Because mm. it's, you know, you'll be cursed until you... Yeah, forgiveness yeah. from your father. Forgiveness, forgiveness from your father. <laughs> there's also... A, well, go ahead. Sounds like you have some... Well, as of original sin, it couldn't have been his father anyway. Right. I mean, again, lots <laughs> how of dare they tell different continuities, conflicting story from 14 years before this. <laughs> Actually, one of the banters that Constrictor and uh, Fake Titania have is about villain tubes. They're, they've been captured at some point in a stasis tube. And Constrictor's like, when are they going to arraign us? We've been here since the Avengers captured us. Why do they always put supervillains in these blasted stasis tubes? She says, thank you, idiot. They learned it from us. 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 Learned this. This. From us. Yes. This. This. Us. Us. I've never owned one of these things in my life. I had a dealer try to sell me one uh, once. 
Very pushy. Real turnoff. I meant villains, Frank. Magneto was the first villain to use these things to imprison his enemies. <laughs> I guess turnabout is fair play. Anyway, my persistent annoyance on stasis tubes gets brought up and, and that made me feel, you know, seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you, okay. The, um, one line stood out to me that prompts an entire thought essay, but like, go for it. Does being a shapeshifter mean you have a healing factor? Probably. Like, I feel like that's not explored. No, very definitely often. not. Maybe it depends on the type of wound and the type of shapeshifter you are. But yeah, if you can, if you can change your shape, you can just be like, okay. Well, it's not cut <laughs> this, anymore. <laughs> yeah, this part and that part that used to be separate back together. Right? But like, I don't know. Like, is there like a like genetic or fundamental difference? Like if you're injured, is there like a break? But then if you are a shapeshifter, you control the genetic makeup of your body. So you just put the break back on. Like, right. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's a difference between of if it's externally inflicted versus self-inflicted. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. At that point, it's just a psychological thing. Oh, damn. Man. Anyway, that, <laughs> that's, that like sent like 60% of my brain just spiraling. I understand. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, being a shapeshifter is just a better healing factor. Is my Probably. It just never gets talked about. Anytime I'm, I'm someone sure. says, I want a healing factor as a superpower, I'm going to ask why not just a shapeshifter. It seems like a lot to keep track of. What if, like, what if you get drunk and forget what you look like? Or like... <laughs> You know, or or you just like lose concentration. You start like dripping, right? Do you if you're a shapeshifter, do you consistently have to keep your body activated? No, nobody talks about this, right? Where's Mystique? Where's real life Mystique? <laughs> mm-hmm. any, any, any. So, what do you? God. What do you remember about about Mutant X? Let's start. Let's start there. What do I remember about Mutant X? This this is the Mutant X is the Havoc yes. alternate reality yeah. Havoc led team. Yeah. That's a vast majority of what I remember. Yeah, that's fair. I am because <laughs> I'm having I have trouble separating Mutant X with Major X that I read <laughs> before we started doing this pod. Okay. Okay. It seemed to be coming from a similar place. So I think of Mutant X and I immediately think of that Liefeld Major X and mm-hmm. it's throwing me off. Yeah, it's Havoc. God, who was in it? Who You've got Bloodstorm, the Vampire Storm. Oh, yeah. Vampire Storm, because they use her again Yeah, later on. It's that team. You've got... Ice hyphen man who is stuck at, in his ice form all the time and will just completely freeze anybody he touches. Mm. You've got Hank McCoy as the brute who has lost all of his intelligence. Havoc was married to Madeline Pryor. They have a kid named Scotty. He's hooking up. And then, you know, she did her inevitable evil turn. 
he's hooking up with Electra, who is Scotty's, you know, caretaker, and that's it, et cetera. And but this is 616 Havoc. This is 616 Havoc who has been transported into Jerk Universe Havoc's body. It's just it's 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 just the most 90s, like, you know, what if everything was more extreme type of thing? <laughs> mm-hmm. And everyone was just a little more of a jerk. So yeah, that's basically it. So starting with an annual here. It's a flashback to Gambit, who's on a mission. As it turns out, the mission is for Sinister. And he brings uh, Bloodstorm along. I guess they're dating at this point or something. They break into the Horsemen of Apocalypse's lair, and they grab these babies who are in cloning vats. Things go south, and Remy is, you know, mortally injured. He begs to be her to turn him into a vampire, and she does. They rescue two kids, uh, a boy and a girl. Remy raises the girl under as the name Raven as his own daughter. And the other one he turns over to Sinister. And he's like, yes, my own <laughs> X-Man. So now we have Mutant X, X-Man. Aren't you so happy? Hey. Mutant Overjoyed. Me- yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's trying to think of a fast way to say it, and nothing's coming to mind. <laughs> Mutant X Man. No. Okay. So, yeah, on to the main story. Uh, Charles Xavier returns to New York mysteriously. He's supposed to be dead. Everyone presumes he's dead, but since when has that ever stopped him? I swear he, <laughs> he's come back to life more than like any other character. Yeah. But yeah, so he's. He's just kind of like wandering around. He's ambushed by some horsemen. Apocalypse is back. It, but And so he like contacts the, you know, Havoc and the team. But he's like trying to get them to kill everyone and everything. Turns out he went dark after his fight with the Shadow King. Absorbed the Shadow King. He wants, to, and, and so he sets a series of illusions for Havoc. And Gene breaks in to help him escape. And so they team up with Apocalypse and Magneto. Apocalypse saved Magneto and the other X-Men when they were presumed hit with a nuclear bomb a couple issues ago. (laughs) Just, I I had a whole meltdown about this then, so I'm not going to do it again. But they dropped (laughs) a bomb on the X-Mansion. And they're like, yep, that did it. And apparently I didn't even do it. Nobody died. This book is so stupid. It's just, you know, okay, so I, I, have you seen Avatar 2? No. Did okay. you? Yeah. I had a, had a friend who invited me to go along. No, I didn't. Okay. Well, then never mind. I was going to say some things about it. Do you, do you ever have plans to see it? I mean, when it hits streaming, okay. you can say something if you want. So the entire, like, last third of the movie is just like things happening and and it's a, it's a long movie, right? Like the first avatar was long and you kind of expect this, but it's just like, I don't know. You just, I just reached this fatigue point where it's like, there's another scene and then there's another scene and then they have to have this shot to set up this other scene. And it's not even really in service of like the story or characters. It's just, you wanted another set piece. You wanted another fight. You wanted, it's just like this mm-hmm. continuous motion of, of just things happening. 
But, you know, it's set up by a pretty cool first two thirds of the story of, you know, interesting character conflicts set up and blah, 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 blah. Uh, good spectacles. I like the movie overall just fine. But that's how I feel about the entirety of Mutant X. It's just things happening. They're just like, oh, we have to have this thing happen in order to set up this other con- inconsequential scene of another thing happening. And it's just tiresome. But anyway. So yeah, the X-Men are alive. Apocalypse saved them. They team up to take down Xavier, who has been going around absorbing the powers of every other telepath in the world. Because the only telepaths we've come across in Mutant X are Jean and Madeline. So sure. And Xavier is teamed up with Sinister and saying that sentence makes the whole thing sound way cooler than it actually is. You're like, oh, fuck. Like, you know, Magneto, Apocalypse, and the X-Men against Xavier, who has taken over Xavier and Sinister, plus the combined powers of every telepath in the world. That's sweet. And it's not. It's terrible. (laughs) It's terrible both in just sheer quality of the story and in missed opportunity of, you know, like, oh, that seems like it ought to be fun. And it's just God awful makes it even worse. And, you know, we learned that Xavier has been controlling Nick Fury and shield and the entire U S government for the entire, (laughs) for this entire title, which what? Yeah. And he's, planning on doing an Ozymandias of like drop a, a threat that everybody can unite over in order to, you know, exacerbate tensions and take over the world type thing with a fake Galactus and just drop it in the middle of New York. None of this makes sense. If you think about it for more than a minute, but that's fine. It turns out the fake Galactus wasn't even his real plan. That was just a ploy to make <laughs> havoc Magneto, and Apocalypse all shoot energy beams at it at the same time. And this green psychic protoplasm nightmare energy stuff goops out of it and turn, makes everybody have more nightmare psychic nightmares. It all, you know, and they like break out and it all becomes moot. You know, they're like, we're making our stand against you. And then mutant X, X-Man arrives. Thank God we established him in the annual. And he is holding, you know. Scotty and Raven, so Havoc's son and, and Gambit's daughter in, you know, and little energy balls. And it's like, haha. Xavier's like, I've got the upper hand. I'm, you know, you can't oppose me. And then I will control the entire world. And then Sinister has a last second freak out because he's like, wait, you were supposed to let me experiment on everybody. And he's like, no, you fucker. And so he just like absolutely just dusts. He just, you know, completely destroys Sinister with one, just by pointing at him, basically. And then Mutant X, X X-Man freaks out. He's like, father, no. And so he lets the kids go, blah, 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 big fight. Xavier teleports away. Apocalypse dies from, I don't even know if we saw the thing that killed him. He just kind of dies at the end of the fight. Magneto and Elektra take the kids to the moon. And then... Brute Beast, who was injured during the fight, is put in a healing tank back at base. And it's for some reason that he regains his intelligence from that. But then we're like, oh, it's only temporary. And so he 
remembers that evil havoc caused the explosion that made him lose his intelligence in the first place because, oh God, Beast was working on a cure for Bobby who was comforting Madeline because, uh, platonically, because Alex was having an affair with Sue Storm. And so he was jealous of their friendship after the affair ended. And so he was concerned that if Bobby's powers were fixed, then they would get together for real. And so he sabotaged the thing that did the thing. Okay. Yeah. I, I put in my notes, <laughs> bad havoc caused the explosion that made Beast lose his intelligence for reasons that are too stupid to get into. And I'm sorry I got into them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so with, you know, whatever hours of intelligence Hank has left, he knows how to bring our havoc back to 616, reveals that bag havoc is probably there just kind of hanging out. He's just got to use that handy-dandy portal to the negative zone he has lying around in his lab. Doesn't work on the first go. Havoc's like, well, take a break, everyone. Everyone's like, and we don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> We're flat characters. We have nothing going on. And they all kind of like, you know, come to this realization independently and come back to the base. And so before turning back into the brute completely, Hank is able to cure Bobby's permafrost. He's able to open the door back to 616, but a big monster comes out. They fight together and kill it, and Alex decides not to go back to 616 and that the mutant X-verse is the place for him. End of story okay, arc. Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> this title he just has wants his own gene. <laughs> right? Or his own Maddie, whatever. This title only has seven more issues, so the next time I read Mutant X for the pod will be the end of it. You're going to power through it. I mean, I've got got it scheduled. It's not going to be next week. I've got it scheduled a ways. Actually, I don't even have it scheduled yet. (laughs) But like seven issues in a a week. (laughs) Come on, dude. Of me next? Are you oh, be yeah. okay? Well, this this was this was seven plus an annual that I just oh, rapid fired at you just now. Okay. I, I left out so many just completely inconsequential things happening, and still everything that you heard was completely inconsequential. Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, like big picture. That's kind of the problem with like reading alternate reality books anyway, right? That's true. You know, you you have like the, oh, we get to reimagine a lot of, you know, it's not even consequential like to the storyline. It's inconsequential within like the arcs of its own characters. It's like, oh, Beast got his intelligence back. (laughs) Oh, we're undoing it an issue later. You know, it's like there are absolutely no stakes whatsoever. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Oh, we we just saved the world from this horrendous, you know, world-altering threat. Oh, there's another one. It's just like the, <laughs> the tenor of your life do, doesn't actually change at all here. Next week. Next week. What do you got next week? So I'm going to try to do a little bit of catch-up, and I'm going to do like four books for okay. next week. I've got the next run, the next volume of Captain Marvel. Yes. Called The Trials. Okay. And 
as referenced on the cover, mm-hmm. last time we saw Captain Marvel, she made a like plasma clone of herself and mm-hmm. it didn't depower when she was done. Oh. So okay. we just have this and she goes by binary because right. she's in like she's done that before. Mode. Yeah. So we have like two Carols running around. Okay. Novar got or Genus Vel got re got cloned and reborn. Like you do. Mm-hmm. And then we also got introduced to L'Oreal back in the very beginning. It's her half sister, same mother. Mm-hmm. Anyway. It's been a it's been an interesting and fun run, but the, we haven't had like the payoff for the whole like that future Namor Enchantress son who oh yeah got cut off from magic and that whole like foreboding thing from from Strange uh-huh. <laughs> isn't getting paid off yet. So I don't know. We'll see what happens in this. It's called the trials. Sure. This thing called Fantastic Four Life Story. It uh-huh. is. It's six issues, but it's uh, it's an alt-universe Fantastic Four story of what if the Fantastic Four aged in real time. Oh, who's it by? Mark Russell. Oh, I don't know. You know Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm interested in that. And then we've got Captain America, Symbol of Truth, which is Sam Wilson as Captain America again. Sweet. Which I don't know why. <laughs> became Captain America again but whatever sure and then I've got Miles Morales Empire of the Spider okay no idea it looks like another adult version of Miles oh kind of storyline thing going on I don't know huh. I don't know they, they've been doing some weird stuff with Miles and like alternate either clones or alternate versions of miles. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, see. well there, there he goes. Miles Morales and shift embark on an interdimensional quest. Cool. <laughs> All right. All right. Is what it is. So, um, yeah. So four potentially interesting books for next week. Nice. I am stoked for next week. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you read Sandman for this week and and shockingly I didn't. So we'll have we'll have like three issues of Sandman to go over. Yeah. I'm excited. They're very yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty short issues too. Yeah. Like I don't they're, they're not like huge ground uh shaking sure issues, but they're 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 fun. They're interesting. Cool. And then you know how I said that the entire line of of x-men books basically got um you know assigned new uh creative teams and and rebooted with a new status quo and and all that Mm -hmm. we went over x-men and uncanny so far and then the more like alt slash you know edgy side of the x-men universe if you could call it that got rebranded as counter x and so uh-huh. that's Generation X, X-Force, and X-Man. And they are all co-written and plotted by Warren Ellis. Uh, yeah. So I'm really stoked well, about that. Okay. Yeah. He that, write, cool. He writes a very competent comic book, you know, and he's a writer with who actually has things to say. And mm-hmm. so I can kind of go beyond like 
this what happened and kind of try to develop like like a big picture message type thing yeah like why did this person write this <laughs> what is this about yeah welcome to semi-modern storytelling <laughs> <laughs> this really is this is like honestly we laugh about it but this moment really is like a big leap forward like just in terms of like and the contrast couldn't be more vast between like what we were talking about last year with uh dr demand about just like how antiquated a lot of the storytelling style is mm. in claremont versus mm-hmm. like Warren Ellis was really one of the pioneers of of kind of like the look and feel of of 21st century comics as we know them that has continued to today. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So hopefully we have a um, very interesting uh, episode for, for next time. I think so. Looking forward to it. Gosh, what a short episode we have today. Hey, look at that. You're welcome, Nips. <laughs> Well, I guess, gosh, there's really nothing else to talk about. I guess we're just going to put the outro music here and uh, just call it it again. Sounds great. All right, dude. Bye. Fun. I'll catch you later. Take care. Back to work, I go.